Welcome back to Arab American Psycho. My name is Noor, and this week's guest is a stand-up comedian and one of my favorite people to follow on Twitter. Welcome, Dina Hashim. Hey. How are you? I'm fine. Uh, I am not uh, in the right uh, time zone, apparently. I'm, again, sorry about that. (laughs) So we were actually scheduled for next Thursday, but I get an email from Dina being like, hey, like, I'm I'm on the recording website. Where are you? So you know what, we're just gonna, we're really winging it like more than more than usual. So it'll be fun to see where the fuck this conversation goes, really end up anywhere. Yeah, you know, you know, what the issue also is that I've been watching, do you know the show Dark on Netflix? No, it's my, it's probably my, like, top three favorite shows of all time now I'm really obsessed with it people who know me know I'm obsessed with it but I'm watching it for the third time and uh it's about time travel and so I'm just I'm really all over the place in terms of time so that's I blame it on that I mean also time is not real in any way shape or form if there's anything I've like learned in the last year is that Time is genuinely not a fucking real thing. There's no way it's a real thing. I will fight. I have no actual like scientific, you know, anything to back it up. It's just solely based on like my feelings, but my feelings are all that matter to me. So I I believe it with all my heart. That's great. You know, that's, that's how the universe operates now. It's just whatever we feel is correct. And so I support you. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. And that's the thing, like women supporting women, enabling these types of behavior. I feel like that's been happening a lot more recently and I really fucking love it. (laughs) Let's, Let's blindly support one another. Yeah. You know, it might be the fall of civilization, but whatever, you know, whatever. We're all gonna die. It's fine. I need to also stop saying that. Almost every episode, I talk about how we're all gonna die. So I think I'm turning into like a really big bummer where I'm just like, we're all gonna die. Yay! So um. <laughs> that's what my podcast is too. It's kind of every episode, just just you know, listing out all the issues with with the world and why it's not working out. But people seem to like it. <laughs> we're just two really fun gals. <laughs> it's nice the one good the one good thing about everything going on now is there's a there's a united sense of of sadness that's the Mm -hmm. only way in which everyone is united right now and that's something it's actually weirdly like the most like connected I've felt in like a really long time to just like people on the internet because everyone is so fucking emo and like (laughs) At my core, I am the most emo human that's ever existed. Like, I would still shop at Hot Topic if I, you know, didn't want to bully myself immediately after. But, like, it's, like, everyone is being so openly emo because it's, like, oh, there's, like, this pandemic and our lives are falling apart. So, like, this is socially acceptable now. I'm, like, this is how it always should be. Yeah. No, everyone – I mean, it started before the pandemic, I think, due to social media where everyone had just started regressing into their teenage (laughs) or younger selves And with the pandemic, it's like now there's just no reason not to. I'm literally in my childhood bedroom. And so it's just full on regression. And it's it's a sense of unity. It's cool. I really am so uh, this is just really just uh, like confirming what you're saying, which is that, yes, we are all regressing. All I listen to is music that I first heard when I was 14. But also, I'm genuinely jealous that you are in your childhood bedroom right now. I wish I had access to my childhood bedroom. Like, I just feel like all the nostalgia and all the feelings would just be so 
depressing in the best way possible. <laughs> oh yeah, I'm just constantly being like triggered. It's not a good place, but it's <laughs> it's it's interesting. I'm like I have my Blink 182 poster on the wall. <gasps> I'm so jealous. I'm so jealous. Like I'm irrationally jealous of a Blink-182 poster. I'm like, I wish I had kept all of my fucking cool posters. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. You could still buy them. They're still out there if you want to recreate your childhood. Um, I mean, listen, I, ha- I do have a Kurt Cobain poster that I was never able to put up as a child that I still have. And I really want to like frame it like really like beautifully and put it up my dad hated it that's a great idea well that's the thing my poster was also an act of rebellion I have a joke about it now you know or I were, I wasn't allowed to talk about boys or anything I just told my boyfriend this I got in trouble because I, I was at Starbucks today and they were playing the song the boy is mine by Brandy mm-hmm. and Monica do you remember that first a classic of course yes and it was the first cassette I ever bought from the whiz and I was so excited and I brought it home and my mom saw it and was like the boy the boy is mine and just I got in trouble and then you know it took high school for me to be brave enough to put up my blink 182 and John Lennon poster so wow that (laughs) it is that's an act of bravery I I will say I got away with putting one poster up of a man on my wall because also Arab household no boys don't even say the word boy like you have no reason to even like think about them at all if you see a man look away Um, (laughs) I had a poster behind my door very strategically so whenever my parents came into my room they couldn't see it But like, because like, when are my parents ever going to be in my room with the door closed? Like, never. You know, I, I really, I stand by it. It was a brilliant idea. That's so and, clever. That's so yeah. clever. My, uh, my mom put up a wall hanging of Mecca right next to Blink One Eighty Two. That's what's on my wall right now. I feel like that's kind of a vibe. Okay, okay. With with the whole regressing thing, do you also feel like as time is passing you like weirdly like enjoy weird shit like that like little mecca things and like creepy little like I don't know coffee pouring things at your parents house or your parents like you know will randomly have in their living room yeah there are little artifacts of Islam in my room that were just forced upon me and um I don't know like there's some cool like little trinkets from Egypt that now I'm just like oh that's cool that that came from Egypt but um yeah, it is it is really <laughs> strange in general to be back here. <laughs> so how long have you been back at your parents' house for? And and what's that whole thing like? Um, well, just a few months into the quarantine, I was like, you know, why am I paying New York City rent when everything's closed? There are no shows going on and my I you know, my um where my where I grew up, where I'm at now is not very far. So I'm like, well let me just you know move back in, save some money on rent. And plus my mom is like a different person now. Like when I was growing up, she was like, you know, it's weird. I I don't like talking like negatively about her now because she has changed so much and is so much chiller now. But growing up, it was like horrible. So it's not bad being here. It's just weird how different it is. It is weird how like when like I I'm also like making a very generalized statement but I feel like most Arab women grow up with like these really intense strict parents and then like at one point they finally see you as like a human Mm -hmm. so they like start treating you with respect which again makes it sound like my parents were like awful they weren't that bad but like also they did not treat me like I was like a human being you know what I mean like I was just like a little baby person for like a really long time probably until like last year. 
<laughs> yeah. Um, I, for me, it was the turning point, I think, was when I graduated. So I moved um, into a college apartment for my last two years of college, not the first two. And then once I was done there, I moved back home for like a second before I moved out again to another place. And I think that's when my mom kind of realized, oh, if I want her to stay in my life, I have to be nice to her and treat her like a human. So I think that um, just and also in addition to like just aging and not having the energy to be as angry about things and sort of letting go of certain stuff. Yeah. Everything you're saying, I'm like, yeah, that's, that's actually, uh, now that I think about it, that is when my parents started treating me like a human being is when I moved out. Mm -hmm. And also, um, they are so tired, so they don't have the energy (laughs) to to say all the things that cross their mind. Like just because that's the thing, like, it was like, I can handle all the online criticism in the world, because I'm like, you don't understand like Mm -hmm. what being an Arab Muslim girl is like, like, it's just like this constant, like, why are your shoes like that? Why are you standing like that? Why are you sitting like that? Why aren't you eating this? Like just so many constant attacks that like, I'm just like, whatever, I don't care. That's fine. Yeah, it's it's funny you say that. Because um, I don't know if you know this, but when I like, uh, two years ago, I was like mob attacked online. Uh, I remember uh, Corinne Fisher had posted about it. And I was like, I think that's actually when I just found out about like your comedy. And I was like, holy shit, this girl is so funny. But yeah, I remember it was really scary, actually. It was scary for a while until, you know, I realized I was not necessarily under physical threat. Um, it certainly seemed that way for a while, but what it ended up being just, you know, in my mind, you know, obviously I make everything that's sad or crazy into something funny. And I found it funny in a lot of ways, like the fact that all of these people were calling for me, uh, to like be killed because I was telling jokes on stage. It's like, well, there are certain members of my family who feel the same way. (laughs) Just being a, you know, Arab woman in my mind. So it's not that unfamiliar. <laughs> it's it's almost it's almost comforting. It, it almost feels more like at, you're at home when yeah. you're on stage. Yeah. yeah, exactly. It's there were so many. Yeah, it was just a funny parallel. <laughs> <laughs> See, and that's the thing, though. I like I I just feel like when I remember seeing all that like happening, I'm just like I don't understand why people get so mad at comedians. Like I, I genuinely just don't get like, it's comedy. Like it's, it's just supposed to be funny. Like it's not, it's not supposed to be like whatever the fuck you're internalizing it as. And it's just, do you, it was that maybe like the, the worst experience or is that like something that you've kind of always dealt with? No, that was definitely a unique experience. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I don't. I mean, I guess what it looked like to people outside was like crazy, just because of the volumes of people. But on my end, it was even crazier, just because. I mean, it, it would it would take the entire podcast to describe this. I'm trying to think about how to be concise, but it was just a lot of very serious sounding threats, and um, it's like what what. Uh, I forget what your initial question is. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, you're totally fine. I, I, I too don't remember what my question was in all fairness. Again, guys, keep in mind, we are winging this, but also, um, but yeah, I mean, to be honest with you, like, I don't, I don't even remember exactly what the joke was, but like, I don't understand how anyone was that, it wasn't the most offensive joke I've ever heard by like far. Like, it was like, 
are they just mad at you because like you're a woman and existing? So it's a lot. Of, it was like a lot of things that converged into into it. Like there was separate groups of people who were angry and like five disparate reasons for why they were angry. There was like a group of people who just were, you know, basically part of this cult of this of this rapper. Yeah. And so whenever anybody says anything negative about him, that's just what they do. Like they attached they attacked um the music website Pitchfork for like 2 years cuz they like um, published an article about the crimes he committed. So in one sense, it was just like their orders. It's like, this is the directive to anybody who says anything bad about this guy. And then there were people who wanted to turn it into like a race thing. Like they thought mm-hmm. I was this like white girl yep. <laughs> telling a joke about this dead black man. And then it yep. became a thing of like white privilege somehow <laughs> when it's like, uh, okay, number one, I get it. I, I'm not white. Number one. It's funny in my initial, when it was first starting, like the, the attacks at me, I didn't think it was going to be a huge thing that it turned out to be. So it was just, I thought I could just handle it and turn into like, a, I was like, I thought it was stupid and funny that people were getting mad. So I posted an Instagram post just kind of being like, listen, it was just a joke. I have no ill will toward <laughs> that guy. Also to everyone calling me a white cunt, please switch to Arab cunt. And like, I was also sort of hoping it would lessen their anger. <laughs> they didn't think I was white. <laughs> right, 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 right. Just immediately backfired to you fucking terrorist. <laughs> like, yeah. Cause that's the thing. I, I would also be like, Hey, Hey, wait, wait, wait. I'm not white. I am an era but yeah I would not you're, I would not have considered that the terrorist thing I I forget that that's still like on people's minds because I feel like Arabs and Muslims have been like kind of like low-key for a while now which yeah. I'm like really happy about but I I forgot that people never forget things so yeah it's yeah I mean whatever race I was they would have launched whatever you know epithet um but yeah so it was like it was that and then um it was just people who also just wanted uh, to feel outraged and get clout for being outraged on what right. could be seen as like a like a morally righteous stance. Like it's not right to joke about dead people, which is absolutely absurd. And they, yeah, do, I mean, yeah, he, he, like the the charges in which he was arrested with, I just like looked him up to to clarify to make sure it's what I remember it was. Like those were like really serious like felony fucking charges, like battering a fucking pregnant woman. Like that's that's not. That's I, I feel like you know you batter a pregnant woman people I feel like might you know shit on you a little bit I don't know maybe yeah, maybe you would maybe not battering pregnant women and I also included that I thought I was being real clever including that in my Instagram post because truly <laughs> truly I didn't know anything about that guy except for how he died and so I made a joke about it I knew nothing about him and then I was learning all the stuff about like that all the bad things he did and I'm like I will use I will let the people yeah. know that this yeah. was not a good person yeah. And then, yeah, like, yeah they had like 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 they were like lawyers they like knew all the details of the case they were like <laughs> he didn't do that she was lying his girlfriend was lying I'm like whoa I don't know what's going on and also I mean yeah he like beat up gay people in prison but like you know it doesn't matter to them it's just like yeah. you attacked our guy um and so, but also it shouldn't matter if he was a good person or a bad person. Like it's a joke. You know? Right. Exactly. Like at the end of the day, that's, that's literally, that's what like stand-up comedy is like all about. It's like, you know, kind of saying things that, you know, maybe the average person can't really say because it's, it's like a time and place kind of thing. You know what I mean? It's like when you go to see a stand-up comedian, I think you should expect for them to say things that are like a little, 
uh, outrageous, I guess. Like, you know what I mean? Like that is what you should expect when you are in that setting and to like be, a, I don't know. I feel like I've heard stand-up comedians say so many things that if I were just like, you know, at a coffee shop with friends and someone said that to me, I'd probably be like, what the fuck is wrong with you? But like, you obviously know that this is like, this is just for like lols. Like, you know what I mean? Like that's, that's another issue is that it was kind of just two worlds collided that should not have collided. It's like yeah. this group of people who a lot of them, I don't even think have a concept of stand up comedy. They're like young people who think that like TV is YouTube and they're not, they didn't <laughs> grow up watching stand up on comedy central. So to them, I think it honestly just looked like a person saying their opinion, not in the context of stand-up or comedy. So there was a lot of just confusion in terms of people just not understanding the concept of comedy. I actually talked to a lot of them, <clears throat> people who seemed reasonable in my DMs. I would reach out to them and want to like explain, like, I'm not, like, I'm not a monster. I was making a joke. It's my job, you yeah. know? And then they were confused. Like, so there is that also that aspect of it where, and I think it, it leaks into life right now, like TikTok, like I have friends who do comedy on TikTok and most of the young people who like it and respond have no idea it's supposed to be a joke. Like the lines between like fiction and reality are so blurred now that I think people have trouble detecting irony or just what's what's supposed to be funny and what's what's not, you know? And I just feel like also like majority of people on the internet are waiting to be really fucking pissed about literally anything. Like they're just like waiting for someone to say or do anything where they feel like they can like get on their high horse and be like, let me tell you why you're a terrible person. And Mm -hmm. it's like, all right. But yeah, you're a much nicer person than me. I'm like, even the fact that you were like responding to people and like being civil, I'm like, I feel like I would probably just be like, fuck all y'all. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> like, fuck you guys. Like, g- learn how to take a joke and get fucked. Yeah, that's what, that's the gut and that's the knee jerk reaction. And it's like, there's actually no winning. Like, what I learned, right. maybe my big takeaway is that the only way to fight a mob is with another mob. Like, mm-hmm. I was lucky that I had a lot of stand up comedians, you know. Uh, vouching for me online like if they hadn't done that I would have felt like I was just drowning and also wouldn't give like credence to the fact that I yeah I was just doing comedy and telling a joke and so it's it's like yeah and and it is what you're saying is true it's just a huge chunk of them don't care about it they're they're not even really offended they're just like jumping on a bandwagon of outrage because it's fun it's like it's a hobby now Right. And that's why I noticed something because, you know, like just existing as like a Muslim woman, Muslim people like love being mad at you for everything that you do. I'm sure you probably experience this to a certain degree. But like, if I leave one hate comment on like a post online, it just makes other people feel like brave and bold enough to also say crazy shit. So like, I'm actively like cleaning things out, blocking keywords, like restricting people's accounts, because it's like they see one person do it. And they're like, you know what? Yeah, fuck this person. And I'm going to tell them why, you know, they're, you know, in my case, a whore. So it's like, um, it's like this weird, like internet behavior that I mean, I'm sure, you know, you sound like you were an emo kid growing up, you probably were on the internet back in the early 2000s. Is that is that yeah, accurate? Sure. Yeah, like people have been like this from the like the inception of the internet, like just ready to fucking be mad. But now it's like, times like 
a thousand because people are constantly like on Instagram, on Twitter, on all these different social media platforms. So it's like, they're just scrolling and they're bored and they're just waiting for literally anything. Yeah, no, it's a drug. It's actually a drug. Like people get addicted to it and it's very infectious. And uh, yeah, it's it like goes beyond rationale. Like and and also young people are extremely impressionable it's it's basically peer pressure like the way that these apps are organized and structured it's like peer pressure you see a lot of people liking something or saying something something and you're like well i want to be cool too so i'm going to say it too it's it's like it's it's really really bad yeah it's it's really interesting though because like i would say i'm probably addicted to the internet like for fucking sure like i spend every night like scrolling on tiktok for like easily an hour before I go to bed, which is definitely not healthy and I would not recommend it. But it's so insane to me, like the shit that like you see kids doing and then you check like their profile and it says like, I'm 14. It's like, Mm -hmm. holy fucking shit. You're 14. Like this is crazy. And then then I'm like, oh my God, I'm a fucking boomer. I'm literally, I am the person (laughs) that they are claiming that I am. I am in fact a boomer. And I am, the first thing that comes to mind is where are your parents? And I'm like, oh my God, I am that person now. But like, it's just, they see older people or just anyone on the internet doing something. They're like, oh yeah, I'm going to do this too. Like, this is totally fine. And I'm like, I don't, I don't know that it is. Yeah, it's it is tempting to be like, am I just being like rock and roll is the devil, you know? <laughs> but I don't. I really think that's objectively a huge problem for young people. I really don't think it's it's that it's us just being old. Um, yeah, like the, the, a lot of the messages, the death threats I was getting, I would look at their profile and they're like fourteen. It's like they don't know what they're saying. They don't know what they're doing. Um, it's. Uh, uh, yeah, I, it's, it's not. And, and the thing is, is like, when I was 14, I was like, fully aware that I was like a child, right? Like, I knew it, like, I definitely still had Barbies. I mean, I would never show them to anyone, but I had them. But like 14 year olds now, like think that they're very woke and very mature. And that like, all of their thoughts and opinions are like, really like, fleshed out and intelligent. And it just like, Probably not. Sorry. Yeah. And it's not even their fault because our culture is now targeted toward this demographic. It's like everything now is, is catered toward young people as just like a way to make money and to build a consumer audience from a young age. Like all corporations do this. And so it's specifically elevating these young people's voices and telling them, yes, your opinion matters and you matter and we're making things specifically for you. So you can't even blame them. I feel like it's the first time where like youth culture and adult culture are just fully blended and you can't differentiate what's what like adults are acting like kids kids think they're Mm -hmm. adults and so it's it's really it's confusing and it's I don't think it's really (laughs) a good idea I don't know the more that yeah I'm like there are definitely things I'll see on TikTok and I'll and I'll make a TikTok every now and then and I'll think about making when I'm like no, no, this is for children. Like, I can't make this type of TikTok. Like, yeah. And it's not even like I'm like an ageist or anything. Like, you know, I'm 31. I think that's relatively young. But like, I'm just like, this is not for me to do. This is this is for children. This is, a, this is targeted at children. This is for children. I don't want to be a part of that. Like, I feel like 
you know, that would be weird and I would feel like unsettled by it. Yeah, you I mean, that's, that's certainly my gut reaction. It's funny, I remember years ago, when like Snapchat first came out, and I never got it. I've never had one. I always thought it was strange. The minute I saw an adult on a train, put bunny ears on their face. I'm like, Oh, no. (laughs) What's happening? This is like clip art from when I was like on Microsoft Word, and people think it's the best thing ever and they're acting like children they're playing their little like jewel games on their phones and I'm like <laughs> what is what is ha- what is happening and it's only gotten worse since then and uh it's it's like the, where do you go for like adult culture now it's just I, it's, I don't I don't know I don't even know what adult culture is I'll be completely honest with you like I said I mean again we are I am living kind of you know in the pandemic lifestyle, but like I just listened to like screamo bands from like the early two thousands and like make like, uh, like I make like those little fucking tortilla fold over things that are essentially like hot pockets, but like for adults, like you make it at home. So like you feel better because maybe there's like less preservatives. And I'm just like listening to screamo and eating like an at home hot pocket. And like, I, I, I don't really know what the fuck is happening, but like, Anytime I do anything that's like a remotely like adult thing to do, like the sense of accomplishment I feel is too much. And I feel like it should be like less than that. Um, And so that probably is also, uh, you know, a direct uh, reflection of, you know, how adults and children, we're all just kind of one weird fucking blend of people now. Yeah, no, I'm certainly not judging any of that either. Like I said, I'm also in regression mode. I just started learning skateboarding and I'm also 30. So <laughs> I, how's it going? It's amazing. I, I love it. I just feel like I've, I tried skateboarding a few times because I wanted to be cool when I was a teenager and, um, but I didn't have enough persistence to like continue it, but I regret it. And I wish I would have kept doing it. Cause I feel like that would also be really fucking cool if I just like skated around. Listen, it's not too late. I'm here to tell you it's not too late, especially if you have someone, I started doing it randomly cause I started dating someone who has been skating for like 20 years and, uh, there's just nothing else to do without stand up. Right. So I just needed right. a new hobby. And it's just, it's so freeing. It's really, it's just so fun. And it's not, it's like, it's hard, definitely. And you'll fall. I fall, I've fallen so many times, but it's like, you can, you can still learn. I don't think there's any shame in learning as a 30 year old. Sure. Oh no, there, it's not shame. It's due to like, um, just like me having like an irrational fear of like falling and breaking my arm. Like, <laughs> yeah, no, I have that too. And I have really shitty insurance, so I get it. But <laughs> if you, ha- I mean, if you had, I mean, I have someone also just ready to catch me, so I'm very lucky that they're just yeah. sitting there. So if you have that, you can definitely do it. But even if you don't and you just wear knee pads and like wrist pads or elbow pads, there's not going to be any kind of fall that you take as a beginner that will seriously damage you. I just, I feel like if I wear knee pads and elbow pads, it's really going to make me feel very uncool. You have to wear the knee pads under your pants. That's what I do. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. Okay. Then maybe, maybe, maybe I could do that. Cause I'm like the thought of me, a grown adult, even though I am quite short. So maybe from a distance, someone could confuse me for like an oppressed Muslim child. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like yeah. I could probably, I could probably do that. Um, and then, oh no, now I'm going to, now I'm going to become a little skater girl and like really just fulfill all of my teenage dreams and just really go into full blown fucking regression mode and start wearing like Dickies again. Uh, I don't, I don't know. Like, I feel like that could really snowball 
into like a lot of things that I'm actually very excited about. <laughs> Listen, I, I'm just saying I'm giving you the go ahead and, and that it's, it's safe. I don't know emotionally, but physically it's safe. <laughs> <laughs> so I wanted to ask you, cause I know that like I asked you briefly before we started recording, if you speak Arabic and you said not really, but what role of like your ethnicity do you, or like did your ethnicity play a role in like your upbringing or like, you know, growing up, was that like a big part of your life? Yeah, of course. I mean, it was dominant in a negative way in that I just never really felt connected to it. It was always just a source of oppression. You know, I never like, like, I mean, when I was growing up, I just, I always felt different. Like I was taught like by my parents, like, you're not like any of them. You're not American. Don't act like you're American. You're not them. Even though I am a born in New Jersey. So that's confusing. Um, So it was just this alienating part of me that I I couldn't, I didn't feel, uh, I mean, I was lucky that I had a group of friends who are all just like uh, children of Asian uh, immigrants. So there was at least that sort of connection. And some of them had strict parents as well. So there was that sort of little community I had. But um, other than that, like I didn't have any Muslim friends and it was just always this this thing that was a problem problem for me um and yeah like eventually i just gave it up completely without having without you know telling like obviously my parents in high school i'm also whispering now because my mom is here (laughs) (laughs) i noticed that you started like am i just like can i not hear as well but that also i would too start whispering if my mom was lurking around and i was talking about um how being an arab child is really like it's just so the thing is like I I didn't my teenage years I did not live in America at the time but there was still that like weird like I still didn't feel very connected to Arabs at all growing up like I just felt like we like I know that you know I'm one of you but like I don't feel like you and I don't know where I fit in because then at the same time it's like you don't fit in you know with this other kind of group of people but like when it comes, like when you said like, yeah, your parents are like, oh, you're not American. I still constantly have to correct my dad. He will without fail refer to white people as Americans. And it really agitates me because I'm like, dad, I'm American. Like you're American. Like we are American. Stop calling white people Americans. Just call them white people because they're not more American than you or me. Like, you know what I mean? I'm like, we are all immigrants. None of us are indigenous except for indigenous people. So like we're all American. It's fucking fine. And like, it just makes me unreasonably annoyed when my dad will always refer to white people as American. And I'm like, Oh my God, dad, no, no, stop it. Stop doing that. Like you are creating this like divide. And like, why are you doing this? Like, why do you not want, like you moved here, like you literally on your own volition decided to come live here. So like, why would you do that? Like, this is all very confusing and and makes zero sense, I would say. Yeah, it seems to possibly be some kind of internalized guilt for coming here, maybe. Um, Could be, could be that, could be that. I don't know. It's yeah. It's definitely a, a, a launched verbal attack at like this other. You're just like othering everybody that is an Arab or Muslim. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The whole like what like I one of my most common criticisms growing up is why are you dressed like an American? And I was like, I'm wearing pants and a shirt. I don't know what the fuck that means, Dad. Like, yeah, I don't. I don't know what would what would you like me to like do? Like, what is a non 
American way of dressing. Um, But yeah, it's, it's this very weird thing. But like, I feel like New Jersey, it's surprising to me that there's so many fucking Muslims, like half of my immediate family lives in New Jersey. And like, every time I go there, it's just like 10,000 Arab restaurants in every fucking corner. Like Patterson is as if you have been transported to the Middle East. It's a little frightening. Um, but that's, that's surprising that you didn't really have many Muslims around you. Yeah. In retrospect, it is strange. I mean, the town I grew up in has like, I think the highest concentration of Indian immigrants in the whole country. So there is like a vibrant, you know, there's, there was always like halal stores everywhere and, you know, a, a Muslim community. But in my school, you know, I remember there only being one other Muslim a kid, a boy named Muhammad, and I remember this because he sat in front of me, and I had it drilled in my head so much for my mom that I would have to marry a Muslim man. That I was like, well, I guess he's going to be the one. He's the only one here. Literally, like six years old, like looking at this kid. Like, do you like math? Yeah, me too. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it is strange that there weren't more at my particular school. There were definitely more once I got to like high school, but they yeah. just weren't. You know, my friends. Yeah, and it's also like so crazy to me that at the age of six, your mom was telling you that you have to marry a Muslim. <laughs> I'm like, that's that's the part that really stood out to me. It's like, come here, small child. One day you will marry a Muslim man. But I mean, I think that that's like a like a all women are told at a young age, like you're going to marry. Like I I hear people doing it to my nieces like now, like like oh you're going to be such a heartbreaker. Like whoever you marry is going to be so lucky. I'm like. That's a child. Why the yeah. fuck are you thinking about this child being married? Like, wh- why is that even crossing your mind? Because I'll tell you, that's not what I think about when I look at children. It's like one day you're going to get married. Yeah, it's really, str- I guess it's just an older generation thing. Like to them, like that's the mark of success, like getting married and having kids and a family. So yeah, I- and it's also like, I feel like an, this obsession that people have with like women like their lives are incomplete until they're married. Like there's, you can't be like considered like a successful woman unless like you're married. Like if you're not married where it's like, well, you have all this, but you're not married yet. And it's like, what the fuck? Why not? Yeah. Yeah. It seems arbitrary. Um, I, even as far as like my, I had hair down to my ass, like until I was in high school, because my mom was like, "You're you can't cut your hair. No man wants a woman with short hair." Like just like forever, it was just constantly like that angle of like, "Well, you know, you're going to need to marry and be with a man someday." So, gotta think about that. And uh, oh my god, <laughs> it's weird, especially because my mom had two not, I mean, bad marriages. So like it all, it was just hypocritical in every way. But it's like also like. I'm assuming your mom was raised like overseas. Yeah. Yeah. Like it, they, they are like taught that that is what like the whole point of their life is. And I think it's like very, un- it's very difficult to like unlearn this kind of really important part that holds their entire society together. Luckily my mom is not as obsessed with me getting married. Thank the fucking Lord, because she's obsessed with like being super educated but also like there are weird underlying childhood trauma things linked to that, that I really would like her to unpack like on her own time. Um, but <laughs> I, you know, that for me, it was just more like we moved here so that you can be like the most fucking successful person in the entire fucking world. So like, if you don't have 7,000 degrees, everything you're doing amounts to nothing. And I'm like, 
that's not how the world works. Like, you know what I mean? Like you don't need to have, like, that's great if you do, but that's not like, it's these things that they were like raised to believe are like the ultimate like goals in life, like being married, being highly educated. And it's like, if you have those two things, like that's it. Like you're living the fucking the best life. Yeah. That does seem to be a theme and like older generation immigrant parents. It's like, it's not like, I want you to be happy. It's like, I want you to make a lot of money and have a family even if that doesn't make you happy. It's like that question doesn't really come into the equation. And I like, yeah, I don't blame them because they had their own shit growing up. And certainly if there's, you know, always been financial issues and that's what's on your mind, you want better for your children, not to have the same worries as you. And I understand that. And I also was taught, you know, to just always be highly educated. And uh, I mean, I didn't exactly enter the field that they desired, but I always did good in school and that was equally important. So I guess I'm lucky I had that influence, but yeah, it's just a, it's a different world, I think. So when did you start stand up or like, when did you kind of like become interested in the comedy scene? It was uh, very random. Um, I was at Rutgers just, um, you know, I didn't even want to go there. It just happened to be that once again, I was, uh, you know, my whole life, I felt like I'd been waiting for the moment to move out of my house and go to college somewhere outside of the state. And then, you know, it was just like, well, no, you're not allowed to do that. And that was just heartbreaking. And uh, I didn't even bother applying to other schools that I wanted to go to because I applied to Rutgers and they gave me a full scholarship. So it's like, well, not only um, is this school here and they're offering now they're offering me to go for free. I have to do it. I just have to go. We didn't have any you know, money. There was no college fund. Right. So I just resigned myself to going there. I actually had kind of a good time, at least academically, because I studied philosophy and English. I didn't know that they had the best philosophy department like in the world, like top three. So I actually really enjoyed that. And I was just going to go to grad school. I wanted to go to grad school for philosophy or English or move to Japan because I was taking Japanese. <laughs> and oh, cool. Um, so stand up was just this very random. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I'm like all of these, so many things, so many things. And it's like, now stand up. Enter <laughs> walks into stand up. So strange. There was this contest called the New Jersey Comedy Festival, which just went around to colleges in New Jersey and anybody could enter an audition, do a five minute audition. And then there would be a final, you know, round and there'd be one winner. And my, one of my philosophy student friends was entering it and uh, I just entered it with him. I still am not clear why. I often think back, like, what brought me to do that? Like, I, I always enjoyed comedy. I grew up watching The Simpsons and I was like, you know, the funny one in my friend group, I guess, even though I was perpetually shy, never spoke in class, just always socially anxious. So it really didn't add up where I thought to get on a stage and tell jokes. But I just wrote five minutes and I entered it and then I made it to the final round and I won. And I just got addicted to it. I just got addicted to the feeling of expressing myself in a way that didn't make me as anxious as like a one-on-one conversation would. And because, you know, when you're on stage, it's just like you're controlling the conversation. And that was like a new feeling for me because I'd always been shy. And so I just, yeah, and just obviously also, you know, having positive immediate feedback um, to what I'm saying was just so addictive. So I just, yeah, I just kept doing it. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's really like actually cool that you mentioned that you were like more like quiet and shy because like, 
I think a lot of times like young women, the funniest young women that I know, like are that when they're young, because they also find it hard to connect with other people because other people are kind of dumb and not, you know, (laughs) it's just like, what is there to say? But also like you're a little self-conscious because you feel like you're different when in reality, you're just like really fucking funny and probably superior to them. It's just like a matter of finding like an outlet to express that where like everyone has to just like shut the fuck up. Exactly. Yes, exactly. The the opportunity for everyone to shut the fuck up was very, very new and important to me. Um, Yeah. It was just, it was tied in with everything where like, um, you know, I could never be myself in my house and then I would like go outside and only really be able to be myself with like five of my friends. And then with with everyone else, it's like, I don't feel safe expressing my opinion or myself because I feel different because I've been told I was different my whole life. So just finding this way of like it being okay to be different and also just being celebrated for being, for saying what I, what I wanted was just like so incredible. Yeah, it's definitely like a really liberating feeling, especially when you grow up like in a household that's much more conservative. And there's just like a lot of emphasis on like how you speak and present yourself and and all of those things and that you need to be like ladylike, or you need to be modest, or you need to be this or that. Um, What did you immediately like, did you tell your parents like, hey, I'm doing stand up comedy? Or did you do the the old Arab trick of living a double life? Well, I was certainly living a double life in my own way and then stand up. <laughs> Fair enough, yeah. And then stand up just became a little extra element. But they did know because I would have to go out at night and she she hated that. She hated that I would go out at night with like a lot of men and with alcohol around and like be on a stage. Like it was horrible, horrible. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, my they were both pressuring me to still get uh, a master's in teaching because Rutgers had an option after you graduate with a bachelor's to so just do an extra year and you could get your master's in teaching. So just to appease them sort of and have a little safety, I enrolled in that. But like halfway in, I'm like, this fucking sucks. I just want to do stand up. So I dropped out. Um, I was going to be like, dude, you're like the best child, like fucking ever. Don't tell my mom. Like (laughs) she's been trying to bully me into a master's degree for like, as long as I could remember, it did not work. I mean, but like when you said, you're like, yeah, so I just did. I was like, what the fuck? (laughs) Your parents should be like so happy right now. Like you are an excellent (laughs) child. I mean, I at least tried. I could have finished. I was just like, that was stupid. Um, and so, yeah, I like always had like, I always made sure I was employed. Like I, I made sure I wasn't necessarily. Um, I didn't want to have to rely on my parents right. or, for anything. Not that they could, because you know they were also broke. But yeah. I just made sure that I also had something to fall back on along the way while I was doing stand up the whole time. Yeah, because like also you want to kind of enjoy what it is that you're doing, and I think what takes away a little bit from enjoying it is like feeling like I need to make money, it takes less pressure off of the thing that you love doing until you know, you're at the point where like, yeah, I could rely on this, like financially, I think a lot of people like I did that for a really, really long time where I kept like a nine to five job just because I was like, it gives me way too much anxiety to like rely on this thing that's like, so like up in the air. And like, every month is different. And like, you never know what's gonna happen. And then like getting people to pay you like it's, it's this whole kind of like stressful thing. So there's like this sense of like relief and having like some type of constant flow of income while you're doing the thing that you really enjoy doing. 
Yeah, I think there's there, – I always found pros and cons to that where it's like what you said, right? Like you're not relying on this thing that's supposed to be creative and fun to make you money because then that fucks with your ability to sort of be as – have as much fun because it becomes this pressure. Mm-hmm. But then when you have some job that maybe necessarily isn't in, you know, in your line of work and it takes up a lot of your time, you're like, oh, well, God, I could be focusing so much more energy into this other thing if I didn't have this job. So it's always kind of like a back and forth with that. Yeah. And, and and that's the thing. It's like, as soon as you do quit that job and you start doing the thing that you love doing full time, it's like, oh, wow, this is like actually really nice. And it's like, like you said, there's pros and cons. It's like the stress of essentially having two jobs or like the stress of like not having a steady income. It's like you really are just picking which stressor yeah. you prefer. Exactly. And I'm like, I like buying things. So <laughs> we can, we'll go with that one. I'm like, I like, I like spending $50 on Uber Eats, uh, you know, uh, any chance I can get. Um, <laughs> even though like I could just easily fucking, yeah. I'm, I, I will say at the beginning of the pandemic, Uber Eats was really a huge fucking problem for me. And then also like everyone was like support local restaurants. So I like felt like I was like a fucking American hero. Me too. But then, <laughs> yeah. And then I was like, I, this is terrible. Like I, I, this place is, I could walk there. Like, why the fuck am I paying for someone to deliver it to me? And it's going to be cold. And then the delivery person needs me to fucking hold their hand. They're like, I'm lost. And then I like have to stay on the phone with them until they can find my door. And I'm like, well, I don't want to do a- I don't want to talk to you like any anything to avoid talking to people. And I'm like, I thought this was a way to avoid talking to people. I was incorrect. Um, <laughs> you will end up talking. Now I'm just talking about how angry it makes me to talk to delivery people. It makes me irrationally angry. That's interesting. I, I think I've had pretty good experiences <laughs> with that. Maybe because I don't use Uber Eats. I just use whatever app. But I did really, I most of the time I try to walk and pick something up just to save on money. Um, and I think the restaurants get more of a, of a cut if you don't use the do. app. They do. And also your food isn't cold, which also is what ends up happening. And I'm like, I don't, I don't want to have to put my pizza in the oven. I don't want to use an oven. That was the whole fucking point of it. Like, you know what I mean? It's like, I feel like everything is just defeating the purpose of it. But yeah, like, I think that going, if you, if you really want to be a true American hero, like me, uh, just go directly to the source and yeah. just get a takeout order, and then you can just feel really good about that and save like literally twelve dollars. <laughs> it's true, and I have spent so much. Most of my money in my life has been spent on food. Like I like clothes a little bit, but most of my money has been spent on food and never ever buying or cooking groceries. I love it. Really, like, I like clothes a little bit. Like I'll take it or leave it. Like you know, sometimes I don't know. But um, you mentioned that you're dating a skater. I'm gonna just go on a limb and say that he's a white man absolutely (laughs) yeah how do your parents know about him how do they take it I want I want I want to know the things sure my mom doesn't know but I mean my whole life it was always hiding like I could never tell her I was I mean before I became an adult it was just dating in general was not okay but also that I was not ever dating Arabs or Muslims. Um, and then I guess my brother, my fucking brother, just went on, on a limb one day. I was um, dating uh, my previous boyfriend, and I guess my mom was just asking him, because like, they have a much better relationship than I do with her, like, what's going on with Tina? She, what, you know? And then he was just like, yeah, she's dating some, some white guy. <laughs> and and she, I was so mad when he said that, but then he was like, she didn't care. It's just whatever now. And I'm like, what? That was like mind blowing. That was just fine. 
So that's what I mean by like she's chilled out so much. It's really been a just complete change of personality. So she could know about this one. It's just that it's um, we started in like uh, September, October. It's pretty new. So um, it's, yeah, and and I definitely like it's so interesting how there are so many parallels to like every Arab woman I've ever spoken to who's like born and raised in America. Like for the longest time, everything was such a huge fucking secret. And then, you know, when my parents found out not from me and then they kind of didn't care, I was like, what the fuck is going on? Like, what have I been living in fear for, for nothing? Literally, do I like, do I like enjoy hurting myself? Like, I really started questioning like a lot of things. I'm like, do I like making my life hard? Like, do I have some weird like generational fucking guilt that I like, I feel like I need to like live through hardships. I don't, I really genuinely like, this is so fucking weird. Like I introduced a white man to my parents to marry him and they were on board with it. Like they were like, sure cool and I'm like huh like my two super religious Muslim Arab Palestinian parents are okay with this like are they like hi like I I I genuinely and then after that I was like oh wait shit no they just they're just over it like they're just they like they they've accepted me for who I am which I I am happy about I'm I am glad about it that they have accepted me but at the same time it's like you just really build up like all these things in your mind based on like maybe like things that happened when you were a little kid, but like those things change when you get older, which is what I'm always trying to encourage people to do. I'm like, I think you could let your parents know who you are now. And I think they would be fine with it, but there's so much fear tied to it. That's really incredible. I I don't have as like that many or uh, yeah, Arab friends or Arab female friends. So like, I didn't know like how common that experience is. That's really interesting to hear. Um, I imagine there are some parents that probably to the grave are like, no way it needs to be a Muslim right. pharmacist, but that is really nice to hear that. I guess that's a thing that happens just with the combination of aging and like wanting to have a family above anything. Yeah. And I also just, I really think that like, so I'm the youngest of six. So like my siblings, I have literally, I have four older sisters. They did like all types of fucked up shit. So also like relatively compared to them I'm like so good like I'm like wow Noor like look at her I mean they would never say that to me because you know positive reinforcement would be bad but like (laughs) I I get the vibe that they're like okay like she's disappointing in a lot of ways but not in all the ways that she could be disappointing you know what I mean so it's like all right sick like let's just be excited if she gets married because also even though my parents aren't obsessed with marriage, I know that like nothing would bring them more joy yeah. than if I was like, Hey, I'm getting married. Yeah. Like nothing in the world, <laughs> which is really upsetting. Yeah, it's true. I, I also exactly have the same thing. It's always in the back of your mind. Like when are you going to have a family? But that's, I mean, that's great that you, you got to, you know, have a space within your siblings to be the good one. Because for me, it was always my brother was the golden child just because he's a dude, so he can really do no wrong. So I was always going to be like, well, there's always him. Even if I fail her, there's always him. So it's fine. (laughs) Yeah, there is this nice like, well, I mean, same. My brother is literally the biggest asshole I've maybe (laughs) ever met in my life. But the way my parents talk about him, like, it's like, who is this person? I yeah. don't know. I don't know them. He's, yeah. he's like God's gift to mankind. It's really funny. But like, you know what? Like you get older and you realize like, they should have something to be happy about. Let this be the thing that they're, if this is a thing that brings them joy, 
I'll let them live in this delusional lie. That's totally, you know what, whatever makes you happy. Like, that's cool. I'm going to find my happiness. You find your happiness. And, and it, it is kind of nice to know, like, okay, phew, like the pressure yeah. isn't completely on me. Like yeah. I'm not the, the only person they're relying on to feel like they haven't failed at parenting. Exactly. There was, I've never felt that pressure. <laughs> Uh, yeah, we're, we're literally, it's just like uh, 50 minutes of us reinforcing every stereotype that's ever been made about an Arab or a Muslim ever. It's like, but we're fine now. Like, no, it's totally, it helped me build character. I do think it made me a funnier person or like a cooler person to like live in these kind of um, stressful settings where there's just like a lot of weird criticism and pressure. Like, I feel like it made me actually like a better person, but maybe I'm just like, um, like, what's the word that I'm looking for? When like someone like, yeah, I have like Stockholm syndrome potentially. Yeah, no, I also have gone back and forth on that forever. It's like, well, thanks to all of that torture, I um, am funny. I don't know if I can have a loving relationship with another human being, but I'm funny. (laughs) Um, But yeah, no, I think it definitely, any kind of hardship when you're growing up molds you into it, just gives you a stronger foundation for dealing with life, so Yeah, like, I feel like if you've had any type of childhood trauma, your appreciation for like dark humor and all things like emo is just, it's, that's what I'm saying. I'm like, no, you don't understand. I'm like, I really, the regressing is just so deep. And like, I'm like, this is the only music that I feel like I can resonate with. I'm like, what does that say about me? Like, I'm literally a 31 year old. What What are some bands? Oh, you know, like all we have the classics. We have like your Taking Back Sunday. We have, uh, you know, your fucking uh, uh, what's the cursive? Um, oh my god, I was see, I I really had a problem with a lot of the screamo bands. I never got into like Taking Back Sunday or Avenged Sevenfold or a lot of that. But cursive, I was like, this is art. This is yeah. real art. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like like uh, Death from Above, nineteen seventy nine. Yeah. Dale, like like fucking like just all of these bands. I'm like the music still sounds really good. Like, you know what I mean? Like it wasn't just this weird, it's not a phase mom. Like this is, this is <laughs> it's actually good fucking music because like I can listen to it like over a decade later and still thoroughly enjoy it. I will say there's a lot of nostalgia tied to it. So maybe it's like slightly biased, but at the same time, I'm like, no, this is like, if this is the only music I have to listen to forever, like that's fine. <laughs> I, definitely, definitely stand by a lot of it. I, I stand by Blink-182. I still listen to it a lot. I think it's, it's fun. Blink-182 was also like, just like this really cool genre of music that I feel like has never been like, pro- like people try to like replicate it, but like they were just their own thing and like it it is like this combination of like just like really cool like I don't give a fuck kind of music but then also like really like great like sad like ballads and like just like really good like fucking music like I don't know yeah it did make me sad to learn that they pretty much lifted their like style from this other punk band Screeching Weasel that never had commercial success. Oh, no. Oh, no. I feel like a lot of the most popular bands just figured out a way to rebrand something that was a little bit more niche, and that's unfortunate, but... Yeah. I mean, to quote, what the fuck is that movie called? Fight Club. Everything is a copy of a copy of a copy. <laughs> like, it's true. But, like, it is it is actually the truth. Like, f- regardless, music, fashion, everything, it's just all kind of derivative and, like, all kind of just, like, 
you know, like you saw a bunch of things, you put them together, you feel like you're so original and you really like did something, but like you really did nothing. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I think it's a lot of luck and a lot of tapping into what the masses want and getting and like really driving hard on branding. So what do you know? What can you do? They're still cool. I mean, I definitely think that I'm the coolest person in the world. And I know for a fact that like every part of my being is like inspired through like, you know, music or, you know, whatever, like different things. So like, but I will claim it all and I will, you know, stand by it. And, uh, you know, people, if you're confident enough, when you say something, people really fucking, they really believe it. Oh, it's, it's addictive. It's why everyone at the highest levels of power are psychopaths because they have psychopathic confidence and people love that. I feel really exposed right now and attacked. Wait, what? What do you mean? I'm like, I will say, I, I, someone asked me once, you're like, oh, how do you have self-confidence? And I'm like, you just like tell you, you wake up every morning and you tell yourself that you're the fucking best and there's no one better than you. And, and I, and I genuinely fucking stand by it. Like with all my heart and like you, your quality of life will improve. And like, you will, the thing is about your brain is that like, and I'm, I am bordering on sounding like a lunatic right now, but bear with me. You can control your brain. You can control the way you like perceive things and how things make you feel like all of those things are actually in your control. A lot of things aren't, but those are some things that are in your control. And like, you can cultivate whatever mood or like lifestyle it is that you want. If you just, you know, put enough energy into it. No, I, I, I support that wholeheartedly. I mean, obviously, people go through really objectively terrible events and traumatic experiences. And that's not what we're talking about. But just like, um, have you read Man's Search for Meaning? I haven't. It's um, by Viktor Frankl, who is in, this is going to get really dark, was in Auschwitz. Um, but the whole book is about him being like, even in this the worst possible situation you can find yourself in, which is literally a Nazi death camp, The what he took away from it, he survived, was that the last thing you can control when everyone has taken everything from you and all your freedom and everything, the last thing you can control is your attitude toward the situation. So that's fucking facts, man. Like a hundred percent. So that's basically what you said, you know? Yeah. We're the same. <laughs> me, me and this dude, we're the same. Um, I feel like a lot of people are getting mad. Just kidding, guys. Just kidding. Um, but no, like I, I really, I, 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 if I'm sad, obviously like I'll let myself be sad sometimes, you know, you got to listen to your body. If your body is like, Hey, we want to be sad. We want to cry. We want to sit on the couch. We want to be like super fucking emo. Like that's fine. But like, you know, like, I just, I feel like when it comes to like, life, and like how people perceive you, it's all kind of just bullshit. And it's whatever you put out, people will just yeah. like believe it. And like, if they question it, like, that's fine, whatever, that's your fucking problem. That's not my fucking problem. Like, you know what I mean? And like, I just feel like everything about confidence is kind of like bullshit a little bit. So that's why I'm like, when people are like, Oh, how are you so confident? I'm like, it's not like anyone can be confident. Yeah. Like, like it's like, I too grew up not speaking ever in class or like at school and like talking to like the same three people. And it just like, it, it wasn't even necessarily because I wasn't confident. I was definitely shy, but also I just felt like these aren't people that I want to talk to. Yeah. And then like, as soon as I found like a place or a group of people that I wanted to talk to, it was like, you have to like hype yourself up and be like, no, everything that I want to say is like super fucking important and people definitely want to hear it. 
Yeah, no, 100% true. It's You should teach a class. <laughs> I'm like, you are literally just just further um, I know, enabling I know. all of my toxic behavior. You and un- You're like... <laughs> I'm like, listen, like, because I just feel I feel bad when people are like, Oh, I just I feel so shitty about myself. I'm like, you don't have to feel that way. Like, like, I like, I just feel like no one is that special. Also. So that's why I'm like, if someone is confident, it's not because there's like anything special about them. It's just like, that's, that's what they woke up and chose to do. Like everyone is equally not special. Yeah, no, everyone is shit, really. And so yeah, you could just act like you're not and get away with it. <laughs> exactly. Like, see, you know, I, I really, I knew that I liked you. I knew that everything. I was like, I like this girl. I love how I just like never spoke a single word to you. I was like, come on my podcast. You came on at the wrong time. I jumped on. I was like, you know what? Let's have a conversation based off of me following you on Twitter and doing zero research, which I... In, in fairness, I don't prep questions, but I usually research the person. But like, I like all I know about you is that you're a stand-up comedian and that you're from New Jersey, and that's literally like essentially all I knew about you. And that you have like a love little angel in your Instagram profile, and that tickled me um, like a, a lot. Like I, I'm like I really, really, really wish that I thought of that. So. Um, <laughs> I really, 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 I feel like you should get that like on like a hoodie or like a t-shirt. Like, I don't know if you're into making merch, but yeah, I would Yeah, it. it's so much better than my current merch. Maybe I'll change it. <laughs> yeah. I would wear a hoodie that says Allah's Little Angel. Like the fucking cutest thing I've ever heard of in my life. Oh like my truly God. there's nothing that I would want more. So like if you could do that, that would be excellent. I would buy one like and wear it all the time. My dad would be so angry. Actually, no, he might like it. You know what? I'm on it. I'm literally going to go change my merch right now because that's such a brilliant idea. And if you don't buy one, I will be very offended. You should be because then like, and then you can cancel me on the internet. I also like, I really, I've gotten to the point where I'm like, just, I'm waiting to be canceled for something. And I'm also like, I just wish it would happen already. And my friends are like, why the fuck do you want to be canceled? I'm like, it's inevitable. If you're a person on the internet, you're going to get canceled for something. So like, I just like want to rip off the bandaid. You know what I mean? Like, you're all called a fucking liar. Said she would buy my hoodie. Said she supports Arab comedians is a liar. I, I'm, I'm, I'm on it. I'm on it. Literally today. I can cancel you today or whenever you want. Whenever you feel like being canceled, just let me know. Yeah, if I like wake up and I'm like mm, feeling a little too good about myself today, how can we? Or sometimes I want to fight people, so I just like go through my DMs and I'll just like post screenshots and like fight them on my Instagram stories, which probably is an unhealthy um, thing to do, and I should probably <laughs> definitely get a therapist instead of doing that. No, it's that therapy is expensive. That's very cheap, so I think it's good. Therapy is so expensive. And also I have insurance that like also is, I thought it wasn't as shitty as it was. Apparently it is because every therapist in my network is like a joke, like just like a JK person. Yeah. It seems like they're letting anybody do it these days. Right. Um, and yeah, I, I also, a lot of them aren't actual, they're not actual therapists. So yeah. Yeah. I love that I'm getting a delivery right now. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah, I, I literally just, in case anyone was wondering, I returned a package to UPS and got a daily harvest box. So that also, just to just to wrap this episode up and make it really, you know, seem like the most fucking uh, last minute thing that's ever happened. 
<laughs> but honestly, Dina, like truly, I'm so glad that we did this. I'm thank you so much for coming on and like taking the time to to talk to me. It's you're really like honestly one of the funniest people online, and I I don't think many people are funny because I'm an asshole. So I'm really glad that you you came on. I'm honored. That's so kind. I didn't know what to expect, and I'm so happy we did this because you're great, and this was I loved this convo. So thank you. Thank you. And where can people? find you online? Where can they find your comedy, your merch, um, anything that you want to plug? Yeah. My handle for Instagram and Twitter is at Dina Hashem underscore. Um, uh, yeah, and my merch is on my website, dinahashem.com. And my podcast is called Dead Quiet. Um, I didn't even know you had a podcast and now I'm like angry at myself and I'm probably going to binge listen to it. So I'm going to have all of that linked in the, um, episode description. As always, you guys can follow the podcast on Instagram at Arab American Psycho, where you will see a lovely picture of Dina. And you could follow me on Instagram, you know, where I just post lots of pictures of myself fucking standing in tree pose and bullying people on my Instagram stories. Um, So floss and wear sunscreen and I'll talk to you guys next Sunday.